G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Satan's number one goal in your life is to convince you that you are not presentable. And it starts very young. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and we're continuing in our series on deception. It's been interesting so far as we look at the effects of the devil and the unseen spiritual world. In this episode, we'll hear a new message from Ephesians chapter 6, exploring why we need to put on the armour of God. So let's join Pastor Jeff now to see how we can shield ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Are you glad that you're here? Out of all the other places you could be, is this the place that you really want to be? Yes, is it? All right. Now, for those of you who are new, or maybe this is your first or second week, I need to set up what exactly we're trying to do here, because This is turning out to be perhaps the most important series we've done. So if you've come in the middle, I want you to know what we're doing here. The Bible is very clear that there is an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world. And the Bible is trying to get you to understand that when things happen in your life, when your relationships start going bad, or when school gets tough, or when there's tension between you and your parents, or when just things don't turn out the way you hoped they would turn out, that you need to understand that there is not a simplistic answer to that. That there is a supernatural world. That there is an entity called the devil. That Jesus actually believed that. So you can't say, on one hand, Jesus was a great teacher and then say, but he was a liar. He believed in a supernatural entity called the devil. A fallen angel with supernatural power who is bent on your destruction. And if you go through your entire life and you think it's just a couple of bad decisions here and there, then you are never going to take the battle seriously. You're never going to put on the armor and you're going to live a defeated life. It's kind of like, uh, you remember the movie, The Titanic? I thought you might. It goes on and on and on. There was no need for the Titanic to sink. It had all the necessary resources available to it to have a successful voyage. Now, the Bible says you and I are the same way. And as I think about Titanic, I think of pride and arrogance that leads to destruction. You and I are the same way. Because we have the Spirit of God in us, the Bible says that we have all the necessary resources to live a happy, productive, abundant life. But you have to appropriate those resources if you're going to experience the abundant life Jesus came to bring. 
And so what we're doing is we're saying that you have to appropriate the armor of God in your life to live the life that Christ calls you to live and to live the life that you're really wanting, the one you're seeking. So we move on now to the second piece of the armor. And I start it by reminding you of this. And I want you to hear me on this. And folks, we're going to go a roundabout way in this message, so stay with me. Satan's number one goal in your life is to convince you that you are unpresentable. Satan's number one goal in your life is to convince you that you are not presentable. And it starts very young. Now humor me just for a moment. Let's go back to the teenage years when you start dating. First date you have. Very difficult, isn't it? And it's very difficult, why? Because you've got to hide all your flaws. I mean, you think about it, isn't it ironic that we start dating in the teenage years when our bodies are going through all those changes? I mean, if there's ever a time you can't predict what you're going to look like, it's in the teenage years. You don't know what you're going to look like from one day to the next. So when you go on that first date, you're hiding your flaws because you want to be presentable. I go back to my dating era. <clears throat> 16 years old, got my first date with this hot blonde. You know, I'm thinking, wow, blonde, blue eyes, you know, in Tennessee, that's the thing. And I'm thinking, man, I got to impress her. And the night before the big date, I had a pimple fest break out all over my face. And I went and got some of that uh, skin-tinted Clearasil, and I put it all over my face. And I found out about two hours later, I'm allergic to it. So I had a big, red, bright face. I mean, not Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This was the red face, the whole thing. Then I, I was torn. What do I do? Do I call her and tell her the truth? Hey, I'm sorry, I can't come because I had a huge pimple fest and I bought some Clearasil. Now my face is just bright red. I thought, I can't tell her that because then she'll think, not only are you ugly, but you're stupid too. And so I didn't want to do that. And by the grace of God, I went swimming the next afternoon and I discovered that chlorine's a powerful thing. And for my face, the chlorine cleared it up. And it was then and there I knew with certainty there was a God. Because <laughs> chlorine baptism saved me. Now, uh, stay with me. I know, I mean, come on now. Let's say you're going out on a date and you know that you talk too much. Well, you're going to try to convince the other person that you don't talk that much. So you're going to make your, yourself some notes on your hands like, shut up. Or, you know, shush or quiet because you don't want her to think that you talk more than you do. Now, it, you might have the opposite problem like my son Delaney. You may talk too little. And if you've got that problem, which reminds me, when we lived in New Zealand, people would call the house and Delaney would answer the phone. And he was like eight or nine years old. And they would say, uh, yeah, Delaney, is your dad home? And Delaney would say, yes. <laughs> uh, you think I could speak to him? Yes. You think I can speak to him like right now? Yes. You think you could go and get your dad so I could? Okay. Delaney doesn't use any unnecessary verbiage. That's it. So when he goes out on a date, I'm imagining with Jessica, he has to make himself some notes that say something like, uh, uh, you look beautiful. Or uh, what would you like to order? Or tell me something about yourself. You with me? Because you don't want the other person, you don't want to appear unpresentable to the person that you're going out on a date with. So we start this very young in life, very young, we want to look presentable. Just this past week, Dane Johnson came up to me and said, dude, you don't want to wear that shirt. You're skinny and you don't have a lot of muscles. So you want to wear shirts with stripes that go this way to make you look bigger. 
And he said, for me, Dane's for me now, I want to wear stripes that go this way to make me look thinner and smaller. So even in the clothes that we buy, we're trying to make ourselves look presentable, more presentable than we really are. There's $8 million a year we spend in America on cosmetics. $8 million a year would take care of sanitation and clean drinking water in developing nations. $8 million a year. The Australians spend $644 million a year on plastic surgery. $644 million a year, which I thought was a lot until I read what Americans spend on plastic surgery. $10 billion a year. $10 billion. I was at the Dodger game on Friday night and I saw $3 billion of it right there. <laughs> I mean, we do what we got to do to be presentable, acceptable, right? Now, I know that's the humorous side and stay with me here, man. Stay with me. That's the humorous side. But let me tell you, it can be carried to the nth degree. I had a friend back in Tennessee, 23 years old. I was 23 at the time. She came to me and said, Jeff, I'm tired of being single. I, I, I want to date somebody. Can you set me up with one of your friends? Now, I don't like to do that because when you do that, you always end up being the bad guy. But I said, in this case, I liked her. I knew her for a while. I said, yeah, sure. So I set her up with a football friend of mine at the University of East Tennessee State. And he's a big guy, well-built, handsome guy, and most importantly, a strong believer in Christ and a perfect gentleman. So I thought, I'm going to set these two up. And both of them agreed to come out on this blind date if there was another couple. So me and someone else joined them. We went to the movie. Now, as soon as she saw him for the first time, I could tell something was wrong, but I didn't know what. We go into the movie theater. I counted at least six or seven times that she belched out loud. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? My football friend was the perfect gentleman. Didn't phase him at all. Continued to treat her like a lady. We went to dinner afterwards with which she belched about three or four more times. I'm talking about letting it rip now. I'm not talking about something like, you know, I'm talking about she had too much Diet Coke. So, boom. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? The next morning, my football friend called me and said, don't do that again. <laughs> and I waited a couple of days and I called my friend Susie. I said, Susie, what's going on? Now, I want you to listen. Now, some of this, it's going to, I mean, it is what it is. This was her response. Jeff, I knew as soon as I saw him, he was out of my league. And I was afraid that I, I would be rejected on the basis of appearance. So I thought I would just go ahead and sabotage the date on purpose so that I could at least lie to myself and say that he rejected me because I belched, not because I was unpresentable. Wow. Folks, our greatest fear in our lives is that we'll fail the test of being presentable. It is. You won't admit it. And even if you're not a Christian, I'm going to show you something that's true about you, even if you don't go for this Christ stuff or this Bible stuff. It's still true. It's empirically verifiable in every life. For me, my greatest nightmare is I come out here one weekend, I'm in my underwear. I had that dream from time to time. And the only nightmare worse than that is I come out here and all of you are in your underwear, and that's really bad. Now, Dr. Tim Keller who I owe a debt of gratitude because of the research he's done on this, says that if you think about it, there are an infinite number of specs and an infinite number of people that we're trying to make ourselves presentable to. Think about it. For some of you, you're still trying to please your parents. You think no matter what you do, you are never good enough. And this is even after they're dead and gone. You're still trying to do it. And because you don't feel like you were presentable to them, you think you're not presentable to anybody else. You don't love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. Others of you, your parents, and you want to be so desperately presentable to your children that you won't discipline them because you're afraid they won't like you. 
And in reality, the adverse happens. They end up not respecting you because you don't discipline them and you can't love and like somebody that you don't respect. At the workplace, in our peer groups, we want to stand out and be noticed. In our occupation, we want to succeed and exceed. And I'm simply saying that most of us, according to what Jesus taught, most of us are struggling to be approved and accepted by a significant other or others. And the reason is because we feel that we are not presentable and we feel we got to cover up our spots. And it starts when, when we're very young. Now, here's what's interesting. Are you still with me? According to what Jesus taught, most of us are struggling to be approved and accepted by a significant other or others. The Bible says it is not a psychological issue. The Bible says it is not a physiological issue, that it is a theological issue. And it takes us back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And in the beginning, they had perfect unity with each other, perfect harmony with each other and God. God loved and adored them. They loved and adored God. Everything was good. And the Bible says that they were naked and what? Unashamed. They were presentable to God. But then they decided they were going to sin against God and do their own thing. And then suddenly the Bible says that now they are naked and they are ashamed. What changed? Now they felt like they were no longer presentable to God. Now stay with me. It's like a child who disobeys or does something really bad that the father said don't do. And now he's really, really ashamed. He hangs his head and can't face his father. The theological issue is that whether you're willing to admit it or not, even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you're on your journey and you don't know all about this Jesus stuff, it is empirically verifiable that down deep inside you, you won't admit it, but there's a shamefulness because of your sin and because of that, you run away from God. Now, Dr. Tim Keller sums it up by saying this. This is priceless. He says, the reality of this unpresentableness is so traumatic that we've done what psychologists tell us we do with traumatic material. We repress it. We deny it. We actually push our unpresentableness to God out of our minds, and yet we know something is wrong. So we now work furiously to try to please everybody else, to latch on to other eyes and other people. And we tell ourselves, if I can be presentable to him or to her, or to them, then maybe I can do something about this deep conscious sense that I am unacceptable. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we all know down deep inside that we're sinners and that we are ashamed of who we are, but we don't like that, so we push that down and repress it and we tell ourselves, if I can just make others feel that I'm presentable, then I won't have to think about the reality and the truth of the situation I'm in, and I can earn the approval of my peers, and then I will feel that I am presentable. We push it down. We don't want to admit that we're not right with God. Guys, has your wife ever said something that made you angry? There was a really smart guy in the first service this morning. He was seated about right there and he was beside his wife and he said, no, never. <laughs> smart man. A couple of weeks ago, my wife had an intervention with me. She and a friend of hers sat me down on the couch. And first thing I'm thinking is, who, don't you know I'm the senior pastor? Who do you think you are? And of course she would say, I'm your wife. Now sit down and shut up. And of course I do what I'm told to do. Her friend Sydney, Cindy, is also a nurse. 
and they wanted to talk to me. And, I, and for those of you who are new here or you haven't heard this, I've been suffering from uh, what they call anxiety attacks, panic attacks. And my blood pressure shoots up and I feel like I'm dying. And uh, please don't try to diagnose me. Uh, it's just something that I'm sharing with the congregation because once I shared that, so many people have told me they're, they're suffering from the same thing. It doesn't have to be because you're worried about anything. It comes out of nowhere. Now, this nurse and my wife talked to me and said, Jeff, we're glad you're taking your medicine. We're happy for you. you. You should, but you're just masking the problem. What do you mean? Well, there's obviously something going down inside of you, deep down inside of you, that's causing your body to react this way. And folks, I'm telling you, it's scary. My blood pressure shoots up to about 220 over 110, which is stroke rate. Scares me. So they talked to me for about two hours. And I learned something about myself. And I'm taking you on this journey. I don't have it solved yet, but I'm taking you on the journey with me. And I told you I felt like God is revealing things to me about myself and my life that he could only get my attention through this kind of pain. But I've learned something about myself. Within a short period of time, my mom died, my dad died, my best friend died, and all my grandparents died. They're all gone. And I'm still relatively young. And it dawned on me through the course of conversation that all the people who were my influencers and encouragers, the people when I was young and the responsible for raising me who told me, Jeff, you are acceptable. You have what it takes. You are presentable. All those people are gone. And maybe there's a part of me now that wonders, where are all my encouragers? Which is why I'm having a little bit of what we call separation anxiety from my wife because she's the one that's left. It's why the man or the woman goes out and works 90 hours a week, not so they can make more money, so they can prove to the world, look, I have built this empire, I'm presentable. It's the same reason that mothers and fathers live their lives vicariously through their children. You have a mom or a dad that doesn't feel like they're presentable, but they've got a young son that's the most valuable player on the foot team, football team, foot team, football team. <laughs> So they live their lives through that. And as long as things are going well, they feel like they're presentable. You with me? Or I've got a daughter that's on the honor roll and she's succeeding. So as long as she's succeeding, I feel like I'm presentable. And it's not only through people. Sometimes it can be through things. I mean, sometimes you can get so attached to a sports team, your identity is associated with the sports team. I have seen LA Dodger fans cry. I've seen them cry. <laughs> A lot lately. <laughs> and so are Angels fans. They're crying too, I know. But it is amazing. Look, I lived in New Zealand for 10 years. And down in New Zealand, rugby is a religion. And when they see this broadcast down there, they're going to be shaking their heads. He's right. And there's been a study performed. And what it discovered is when the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team, is winning, church attendance is lower. But when the team is losing, church attendance is higher because you're trying to find something to connect yourself with that will make you feel presentable. So New Zealanders may say, hey, we might be a small country down here on the bottom of the world, but we're presentable, we, we matter. Are you with me? We all do it, I, I, I find myself doing it. Since the Dodgers aren't doing real well and the Angels aren't doing real well, I went out and bought myself a hat, <laughs> a Cincinnati Reds hat, because I went to seminary in Cincinnati, so I got my hat and I took a picture with my dog. Now he's still an Angel fan because you know he's devoted. 
But the point is, I will, everybody wants to be associated with a winner because we want to be presentable. And that's why we get depressed. Now, take all of that, and I know it took me a while, take all of that and pull it over here and listen to me for a second. Here's what the devil does. Here's what he says to everyone in the room. When you start doing that, he says, keep going, keep striving. You can do it. Work harder. Show them. Show them all. Show them that you're presentable. Hide your flaws. Grab those fig leaves. Live vicariously through another person or live vicariously through another entity. And he stands in your corner and he's saying, I'm with you all the way. Let's do this. Let's show the world that you matter, that you're significant, that you're presentable. Let's show them all. And so he keeps you distracted by doing all the things you shouldn't be doing instead of reaching for God. So you spend your whole life trying to please everybody but the one who matters most and the, love who, and the one who will love you unconditionally. Now here's what the devil, stay with me. This, I mean, this ought to open your eyes to the world in which we live. When the devil thinks he's gonna lose you and you're starting to come to your senses, wait a minute, these things, these things aren't working. I still feel like I'm unpresentable. Guess what he does next? He says to you, why don't you try religion? What? The devil would say try religion? Absolutely. That's his forte. He loves religion. What is religion? Religion is this. It is a way or the means by which you can make yourself presentable to God through your own righteous efforts. And that comes from the evil one. So number one, you attend church out of obligation and guilt rather than a passionate desire to worship God and give him gratitude for all he's done. So for you, going to church is about spiritual points. You're not here because you really want to be. You're just here because you feel really guilty if you don't come. And for you, going to church is worth like three points. Listening to the whole sermon without doing email, that's worth like 10 points. <laughs> and if you're a CCVer, what you try to figure out is how late can you come to church and still get the points? <laughs> and some people on Sunday morning don't even make it into the building. They park their car. I see everything, I told you. They park, they park their car, they get a cup of coffee and stick their head in as if they were there and then go home. And here's the reason why. You're still relating to God by way of religion. You still feel obligation out of fear. You're still treating God as a religious entity. God wants you to love and worship him out of relationship, but you will never love and worship him as long as you're trying to earn his favor. Instead, you'll begin to hate God because you'll say to yourself, no matter what I do, I'm never presentable to God, and you'll get to the point where you resent him, and you run away because you're still trying to relate to God by means of religion. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 and how to shield ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. Join me next time to hear the remainder of this message from Pastor Jeff. Ironically, the worst kind of guilt and unpresentableness comes from being religious because down deep inside, you know it's never enough. with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au 
forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.